This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yasser and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A-licensed football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Tonight's question, how do I plan a seasonal programme? What are your thoughts? Where do we start? Um, Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting question because it will open up for some debate. For me, the obvious answer at first would be, you know, you've got to plan around the individuals and the group that you're with. Um, I think a danger that often I see a lot, it'd be interesting to get people's thoughts on it, is where we've had these almost like these seasonal plans or curriculums, whatever you want to call it, where it's almost been periodized with this vision that if we work on this and this and this, we'll get better. And often, in some cases, they're working in blocks. And not only is the session plan working on a lot of different random topics, but then equally, you know, I've seen it where some people are working on switching play week one and then something else on week two and this week four and week five we're doing this and that might sound exaggerative but I think it pretty much is the case you know even if you're in academies or even at some grassroots clubs or development groups they'll already have week one to you know 40 or however many weeks there are in your season you know for argument's sake let's say 52 because I know that that's just easy there's 52 in a year you know one to 52 is already mapped out well, I would argue that that's great as a provisional plan, but there should be flexibility because if you map out the whole year, but you don't know what's happened yet. And what happens if kids need to spend longer on something than, than another particular topic? You know, in, in some of the academies I've worked at where, you know, prior to be a head of coaching or whatever, where I had an influence on it, um, you know, we used to work in six-week cycles and it would be two weeks of this, two weeks of that, two weeks of this. And it was like two weeks defending, two weeks attacking, two weeks transition. And that would work across our principles um, right across the roadmap, whether it's us building in our half, you know, how we build out of an attack or transitional moments in the opponent's half, whatever it may be. 
And I've seen a lot of clubs work like that, or a lot of teams, where they'll try and periodise almost their game model or their principles. I think the danger with that is that, you know, there's several things. One, we've got to be careful that of premature professionalism and treating them like miniature adults and trying to impose the adult game upon them. It's good to have standards, but we've got to remember what their game looks like. The obvious one to me is that, you know, every team and everyone's individual needs, as we've said many a times, are different. So to prescribe that this team should be doing this over another team, I think is is difficult. There should almost be like this phrase that we use a lot, which is this flexibility within a framework. So, you know, how do I plan my seasonal plan? Think about the roadmap. Think about the big game and what it looks like. Have that vision, that end in mind. But perhaps think about, you know what, even if they're good at it, how can we get them better? The first one might be split the game into these moments. And it might be as a roadmap, it's how, you know, you'll hear some people, how we build the attack, how we create the attack, how we finish the attack. I would be very uh, particular about certain semantics. I'm a nightmare and I learned this from Osh, you know, because I would argue, well, what's the difference between creating and building if we're actually going to go on the semantics? other than the fact that you're talking about different field geography. So you should have a real clear roadmap of what it looks like. You know, if it's building up in your half, building up in the opponent's half and scoring the goals. Good. Going quiet there, mate. Oh, sorry. I must have muted it. Sorry, I don't know how much you missed or didn't miss. What I was saying was... There's, uh, there's... A bit about, you know, field geography. Ah, right. Okay. So, I mean, let's say you're going to work on, like, building in your own half, right? Close to your goal. How we build the attack. There's a lot of detail in there. There's a hell of a lot of detail in there, right? In terms of principles of how to build the attack, how to create the attack from your goalkeeper and so forth. What are some of the player actions that you want your players to do when they've got the ball, whether it's to dribble the way out of trouble, pass the way out of trouble, 1v1s, 2v1s, sometimes being 1v2 and they're underloaded, how they stay on the ball, their detail to pass and build the attack, You know how you want them to receive fast passes, soft touches, body shapes, the list goes on, you know, and you've heard from previous ones like Tony talking about key factors. If we actually think about all the myriad of information, it's a lot. I think there's, a, and the reason why I say that is because I think a lot of coaches are scared to repeat the same session or focus on the same stuff because they're worried that it'll be boring. It shouldn't be because actually there's a lot of detail. You know, there's a you could be working on the principle of how we build our attack from the back to play four breaking lines, whatever. But there's so much you can go into to coach that, right? And a lot of the practice designs can look the same because you should want to join obsessions, join learning and link learning and make it relevant to the game and draw that relevance. You know, how does this relate to their game on a Sunday or whenever you play and why this is important? Why do you want them to create that run to receive there? Because that's what you want them to try and see in, in the in the different scenarios they're going to face in a game. So to finish that off, in summary, what I'm saying is I'm suggesting that 
We should design a seasonal plan around the players' needs. That's obvious. We should think about how we can join obsessions. I love that phrase. And then the other one would be, you know, you can interleave information. And what I mean by that is we should almost think about the programme as like a spiral, like a spiral curriculum where you're yeah. revisiting messages over time, but you're adding new stuff. So you're, you're going deep on the layers. And there'll be times where you'll talk about, and you might talk about how you finish the attack or whatever it may be, but you're interleaving different topics, but you're creating some consistently consistency. You know, so for in our club, and it's not to suggest that that's the only way, you know, everyone can do what they want, but in our mm. club with the players and the, the club that I'm working with now and now I've created it, you know, for six weeks, we were working on the same uh, principles. We didn't change. So for some teams, it was how they build that attack and and specifically focusing on the roadmap of in the round half. For other teams, it was, you know what, we're very good at um, building the attack and we're very good at building beyond the, you know, over the halfway line. And some of the rotational movement off the ball is quite good. They're just not very good at finishing. So that was an area in the roadmap of, you know, that area of the field geography, pitch geography, that's where they wanted to work on. So what does it look like to some of the strategies when we do get that ball in the final third, how we can finish the attack? Again, there's a lot of detail in that, isn't there? Because you've got rebounds, you've got crossing fish, you've got, you know, attacking against low blocks, you've got all kinds of stuff. So what we tend to do is a lot of counter principles. So whatever your main principle is, we would work on what's the opposite of that. So if you're working on building up, the opposite of that would be how you prevent the build-up, right? So that high press, if it's field geography close to your own goal. And you interlink learning. So what you're actually doing, you're not necessarily isolating moments of we're only working on attacking, we're only working on defending. You can shine a light on one or more things, for sure, and place more emphasis on that. You know, we've had some teams where they worked predominantly on defending because they needed to get the defensive principles right for six to eight weeks. But of course, you can't do one without the other. You know, so you're actually working on attacking and defending cross transition principles if you're doing it right, and you're setting up the opposition to create a problem for you to solve. That's how I would look at it. And then I think after those periods, it'd be good to get your opinion because you may agree or disagree, but you know, but after that sort of window, I think you're constantly reviewing. So for some of our teams, they were like, do you know what? We need to stick with this because we're really building something here. Other teams are like, do you know what? We're, we're, we're working here. We can now look at the next level. So then the next six weeks look something different. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's where the, the there's always that phrase, we heard it on the AYA, you know, the player is the syllabus. The player should really be about the curriculum, the methodology. It should be designed about what are the individual group's needs, as well as the individual needs, but the collective as well. That's what that program should look like. And then, of course, you're revisiting your principles over time versus the other one, which is if we go to like really, do you know what my seasonal plan is? We're going to work on building out the back from here. Then we're going to work on switching play. Then we're going to work on this. Then we're going to work on that. And by week, whatever, we should have got really good at this. Well, the reality is you probably haven't got good at anything because you're jumping from one topic to the other. So it's you're just covering a load of topics without necessarily going deep on any. And you're always fighting that forgetting curve. So the minute you do something, you introduce it, you go, you know, that's what I found at one of my academies before that I used to work as a, I'm reflecting on it now as a part-time academy coach under 14s. We worked in this six-week block. Um, but then, you know, after the first two weeks of working on whatever it was we were doing, 
by the next two weeks. And then when we went to the next, we'd already forgotten all the stuff. We always felt like, oh, God, we just worked on this two weeks ago. But because we were bouncing around, the players couldn't really link the learning. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be interesting, you know, what your thoughts are, Yaz, and even just, to, you know, get the thoughts from the group. But that would be, for me, how I'd probably plan a, a year plan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot, a lot of things that you've said there, obviously, that you know, I'd definitely say I'll agree with and I'd, I'd probably consider doing myself. So, for instance, I definitely think it's worth, in principle, having some key themes and um, areas, if you like, that we'd like to cover across the course of the season. Definitely paying attention to what the team needs and when and when it might be most appropriate to either stick with that and maybe ad- ad- adapt and adjust that accordingly. So, you know, but I'm also, again, you know, you talk about interlinking sessions and joining sessions up and even joining themes up. And I think the key thing for me, you know, one of the things that I'm doing at the moment with, um, I guess, the curriculum that I'm working on at the moment is we work in possession one week and we work out of possession the following week. But it's similar to what you said there. It's kind of, it's, it's how do we count that? So, for instance, if we're working on, I don't know, attacking in the wide areas this week, it will next week it will be defending in the wide areas. So it gives us an opportunity to keep those same sessions running over a course of two weeks. So the players really familiarise themselves with the concept of the practice and what the comes in a practice are both from an in-position and out-of-position perspective. But the one thing I'm always kind of focused on doing is, right, whenever I'm working in-possession, the first thing I do is step into that session and make sure that the out-possession is, is where I need it to be. Now, there might be an element of direction, there might be an element of, you know, uh, instructional aspects to what I'm doing there in terms of managing that session, but I want to make sure that the out possession is correct to what might be realistic to the session or realistic to the game in order to then work on the in possession effectively. And then following on from that, you know, the following week, maybe I'll switch from out an in possession focus to an out possession focus, do the same going the other way. But obviously, this time we've also got the, the added support of actually having gone through the coaching of the, of the in possession already, if that makes sense. So I think there's definitely pieces there I would say aligned with what you've said there. I think having an idea of what it is that you're going to cover across the course of the season, I think is great. But I think, you know, I think we can really let ourselves and our players down if we decide that this is what we're sticking to as as gospel. I think we need to recognise that at some points, like you said, you know, we might be getting getting somewhere really, um, really progressively with, with, with the players around how we're getting you know, how we're getting certain themes and certain messages through to them. So it might be in our best interest to just stick with it a little bit longer and push things further back or alternate things around. Um, but I don't think another, depending on what level you're working at, another way to kind of look at it and approach it is recognising, right, how does this then marry up with our fixture schedule? Do we know who we're playing over the next few weeks or months? And do we know maybe what kind of team we're expecting to come up against in those games? And recognising actually, you know, as an example, in the month of January, we've got three teams that love, love to love to play the love to play a long ball, right? So in that month there, where we might have had an input in an out of possession topic around defending in wide areas, is it actually potentially defending in, defending against that long ball? Maybe I don't know. As an example, but um, you had your hand up. Go for it. Yeah, I just Yeah, go on, Joe. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I've, I've literally just walked in. The kids are going bloody berserk. But no, I, I agree with you. And it, it, for me, I just think it's... <laughs> sorry, mate. The kids are going crazy. Um, 
I, I think it's it's interesting, and I think that's my point is that we often go from this topic to the next. But we, if we actually think about it logically, how long are you working with the players? Is it an hour session? Is it an hour and a half? This is what I've had this argument with my staff, and we've always found. You know, whenever I've done it, so I'm sure everyone will have case studies for how their method works, right? We'll always find justifications for that. But typically, I've found that it's worked better. And the reason being is because you're able to go into detail more, but you've also got that flexibility, right? But, you know, if you take an hour session, 60 minutes, how much of that session, assuming that the coaches are good, how much of that session is active learning? How much of that session is transition time between activities? How much is instruction? How much did the coach stop it? How many times did the players stop it, if at all? How many times was there a freeze? How many times was there a pause? How many times was there water breaks? How long were the... And you get my point, what I'm getting at. You know, the FA talked about that ball rolling. The reality could be that, you know, for that session, less than only 20 minutes out of the hour that you're actually working, out of that 20 minutes, how many minutes are each kid getting? Is Yaz getting that full 20? Probably not. Yaz is probably walking away with five, eight, whatever, real quality learning out of that thing. So then if we're assuming that that one session or that two a week, you know, after doing that for a couple of weeks, they're going to be masters there. I think we're, we're I'd hate to use the word deluded, but you get my point is that we're almost, it's, it's laughable really, because we can't assume that, do you know what, I've covered it, so they're going to master it. When we know that learning takes a long time. So yeah, those are my just two cents, mate. Yeah, I think just to build on that as well, I think, you know, I'm looking at the question again and I think one of the key things to kind of start with is how you decide what those themes are going to be in the first place. And I think this is where, if you haven't already considered it, you might start to consider how do I want my teams to play? What's integral for that to happen? And what are some of the pitfalls that might might come with playing in that way? And how about, you know, those might be how you set your themes across the season and then obviously how you differentiate in terms of what order to place those in and what to prioritise first, obviously depending on... Uh, you know, a, 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 a myriad of factors. You know, whether that be the individual needs of the players, whether that be the the team needs based on where they're at currently and what's a priority in terms of getting some organisation in place. Whether that be looking at the fixture schedule and identifying you know the nature and the uh, you know the profile of the opponents that you might have coming up over the over the course of the weeks and months. So I think there's a few different considerations to kind of just you know for coaches to start to think about in terms of where they where they start with. Them. But I think ultimately the biggest thing I would say as well here is. Have a plan, but doesn't mean you have to stick to that throughout the season. There's going to be things that happen up and down, up and down the weeks, up and down the months, and you know across the course of the season, which might make you feel like actually I need to move this around. I might have had this in week six or that in week two, but you know it's okay to swap that around. But but have a rationale and a justification for moving those things around if that's what you're going to do. But also equally have a rationale and justification saying actually we're just not going to look at that this year, <laughs> and that's absolutely fine. But as long as you can, as long as you can understand, recognize that actually the reason why we're not going to look at it this year is because maybe we need to lay some more foundations on an a, on on you know themes A, B, and C, so that in year two or in C, in the second half of the season we can now layer on top of that with X, Y, Z, if that makes sense. So I mean, there's there's just a few different considerations for coaches to think about within that. No, you you bang on because we we're doing it now. So even in the futsal, we've had as examples today. We know that we're playing against certain teams and even not just in the futsal, but what we've done um, outdoor regular season. And we know certain teams, whether it's directness, whether it's physicality off the ball. Uh, there's a team in the Northland called Legends that ran by a former player, ex-player. 
everybody knows uh, what a legends player looks like. They're very, they're a lot of their methodology is very big on one v one ball mastery. They're all dribblers. They all want to stay on the ball and take on a million players. They're very technically good, but you you know their brand. You always can tell a legends player. And it's interesting because that'll pose different challenges, good and bad. You know, I see on the other side where a lot of the kids, some of them, you know, I hate to use that phrase, show ponies, but some of it, there's a time and a place when to do the skills, right? And some just don't know how to play within a team. But it's good because it poses us different threats. We know against another team where, and certain academies, you know, and sporting will see this when they're playing, whether it's an Austin or whoever, Again, it'll pose different challenges. So I 100% agree with you. And we'll know that certain times within that seasonal plan, you know, we know uh, certain teams are going to predominantly, especially some of their players, you get to know the, the players and what they're like. We're going to get threats in these wide areas. How do we defend some of those wide areas? And, and players getting exposed to that. And we did it in the futsal. Today is an example where we had players playing against our team because we're, we're playing against each other, but we'd have strong forwards playing against our centre-backs. That way it encourages, because they've got to get better at dealing with different types of pressure. And, and one of our defenders in particular has got to deal with one of our forwards who's very tricky. Um, so I completely agree with you. I think the point I'd want to end on is that we've just got to be careful always as dualisms. So it's not saying go from one extreme to the next, like my extreme to another extreme, because I think that's where it becomes a bit silly, you know, because we do see coaches, you talk about, like, you made that point, Yaz, and you're right, don't feel fixated that I've got to stick to this. But at the same time, I've probably upset a few coaches in that, and I say it every year, we're conceding goals from corners, oh, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. Hang on a minute, you can't even defend. The kids aren't very good at defensive principles, they're not tracking runners, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. I was about to just get that right, you know, and, and we had it where, we had a, a greater emphasis globally because there was a big issue across the club on focusing more on defensive principles. We reduced the score lines. So, but yet some of the coaches were probably thinking, oh, all we're doing is working on defense. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, you're not, because as you said, Yaz, you then coach the attacking team, right? You can't do one without the other. So you're going to get good attacking if the defending's good. For the attackers, it's how do you find those creative solutions? But, for the coaches, they're probably thinking, oh, all we're doing is working on these defending principles. But my kids need to learn how to do this. They need to learn how to switch play. They need to learn how to finish, you know, and score. And we don't take enough shots and we don't. Well, the problem then is that coaches just want to bounce around. I think if you give too many coaches too much freedom, they'll end up wanting to, do you know what, we're going to do a bit of this. And oh, the next week we've conceded there. So now all of a sudden I'm going to do this in my session. And they've got to reflect and think, they've only got 60 minutes or 90 minutes. How much of that session are you really going to have an impact? Like, let's get a grip in. And uh, that's why it sounds like I'm on a bit of a rant, but I would just be, guys, what do they need to get at? Let's just get the basics right and, and, and be really good at the brilliant basics. The brilliant basics. For a lot of coaches, you, you're challenging them because it's, 
you're asking them, like, you've got to know your detail. You've got to know your detail. A lot of them don't, and that's why they run out of ideas. Know how well can you coach these topics, you know, and do you know the, the details and, and get the principles right first. And then it's almost like a scaffold. And as they get older, it should be that we're talking more about sub-principles. And then you're talking about the real micro details at like your U19 plus age groups. But I see a lot of coaches try and talk about real micro stuff in their seasonal plan, uh, micro level, like week to week at the younger age, like U9, U10. You haven't even got the basics right. Get the basics right. So, you know, I think the program for me, I'm throwing it out there, there's a lot of experience in the room. It'd be interesting to get people's thoughts on it. Is we, I've always tried to work on like a 70-30. So I've said to the coaches, not 100 and 0, where it's 100, whatever the head of coaching deals, director of coaching, whatever says, that's what you're doing. Sometimes you can do that if you need to really get them to work on how to coach and get it right. But perhaps the right balance is 70-30. 70% what the club wants. 30% is that the, the individual coach has got that to me where they can try little things because it's also good for their education as well so they don't feel restricted and they can try, and where they feel good. You know what I mean? I don't. I think 60-40 is probably too much uh, and it definitely shouldn't be the other way around where the coach has got 70 and the club's 30. Yeah, I think I think, but, you I know think, what I mean. Something I'm looking at at the moment with the coaches that I work with, you know, I, I, kind of over a course of a two hour session, it's probably more 75 25 sort of thing. Where you know, but even even that 25 that they're, they're operating with, well, to be honest, even more than that, probably it's probably is a little bit 60 40, if I'm being honest, if I'm now think about it. But the 60 40 is all within a particular set framework. So, what I mean by that is. All the all the all the club, all the squads across all the all the you know the whole club, like they'll operate the same way for the first kind of thirty to forty minutes, twenty five to thirty minutes of that every every single age group is going to do some strength and conditioning, and kind of the rest of like the fifty five minutes or so is right. The coaches will decide what they're going to deliver, but it's within certain principles that have been set by the philosophy and the in the foundation of the club, if that makes sense. So I think they've got right. a, bit of flexibility, a bit of freedom around what it looks like practically but they've got a clear focus that's been that's been offered offered to them and it's kind of you know brings me on to a point i was going to mention in response to some of the stuff that you said is that you know we can we can be clear in that you know we might have several different tactical themes but actually a lot of the technical components will, will fall into every single tactical theme that we follow anyway so it's it's a very easy way to kind of join the sessions up and interlink some of the different themes that you're doing because you're now linking the learning to the technical components of the different areas of the pitch if that makes sense rather than oh because we move from this area of pitch then we move to this area of pitch that is no link to it no the easy link is what are the consistent set of components what are, you know what are the consistent 1v1 battles that are going on what are, what are the consistent combinations which take place what are the consistent whatever else they may be do you know what I mean and those are very easy simple ways to kind of bridge that in um, conscious of time conscious of getting other people's opinions and voices heard on this, on discussion tonight so Tony over to you man how are you yeah, I'm good. Thanks, everybody. Um, some some great points that have been made so far, um, and I just wanted to, as usual, throw my spanner in the works a little bit. There's there's two different ways of looking at this. I think one, if you're in the pro game, which I spent 20 years working in, and a different way of looking at it if you're in the grassroots game. Um, and what I'll do. When we finish, I'll, I'll share the program um, underneath, 
Yaz's um, original tweet that, that I currently work from, which was taken from a pro club. Uh, obviously, I'm now working in grassroots football. In a pro club, you're not about developing teams. And that sounds a little bit strange to some. You're about developing individuals. Uh, and I've mentioned this on another Spaces uh, that we did a few weeks ago. Back in the day when I first started coaching, we might release a centre-back and say that his defending wasn't good enough. This is just an example, a broad example now. At the end of the season, we reflect back and look at the uh, sessions that the coach has done over that year. And depending on what the coach's expertise level is, he might not have done that many defending sessions. He might have done loads and loads of midfield work, loads and loads of attacking work where he focuses on strikers. Yes, the defenders will be getting something out of it, but if you're not coaching them, you're not coaching them. So when we release a player at the end of the season and say, well, yeah, you haven't de developed as much as we like, especially with the PMA these days in a pro game, the parents can look at that and go, well, hang on a minute, you've only 25% of your sessions have been defending focused. Now, you can break that down even further. If your focus on defending is in the attacking third, how much work are you doing with your centre-backs? So I think that if you put a curriculum in place which works on all units, in all thirds of the field. Uh, and I'll make no, uh, no apologies for plugging my book. This was the reason why, why I put the book together. Um, if you, it cover, you can cover all areas of the pitch. So, for example, a real simple example. We might start on uh, week one, defending from the front. Week two, defending in the middle third. Week three, defending in a defending third. Week four would then be a consolidation week to say, right, we weren't so good at that, we're going to revisit that in this period. Now, although you might be working on defending, and, and again, the grassroots game, if you're coaching on your own, this is difficult. While I'm co uh, focusing on defending in the attacking third, my co-coach would be working on the back players on playing out. So we, we're, we're ticking lots of boxes, but with a real clear focus on, on what we should be doing that week. And what I found in the grassroots game when I worked as an FA mentor was you'd go into a club and I'm sure that this has got better over the years. The two clubs that I worked with had no philosophy. They had no set way of playing. They had no common um, threads around game time, etc., etc. And each coach was left to his own devices or her own devices. So Gerard touched on it earlier on and I know... Uh, the, the coach educators used to call it butterfly coaching. You do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, um, but not really a lot of anything that drilled down into what people needed. I'd, I'd actually be, you know, the coach might be watching the game going on or the practice going on and go in and coach something which was totally against the focus of what he set out to do. The other point that I wanted to make, and again, Gerard mentioned it earlier on, was if we only coach in reaction to the game that we played at the weekend and we're not a great team, we're going to spend so much time on defending from set pieces, defending in the final third, that actually we don't give our midfield players and our strikers that much to do. So I think it's a, it's a difficult one, but for me, I'm a firm believer in it. The club that I'm currently working with asked me to put a programme together for 13s to 15s 
But having watched the 13s and 15s alongside when I'm training, I'm the only one who's working to my syllabus, which is, which is fine. That's up to them. But that's kind of where I am with it all. I think you bang on. <clears throat> Sorry. I think you bang on. I, I'm, my frustration is that we often bounce around too much or we're always knee-jerk reacting that we'll see we can see from a goal or whatever, so we'll do that. Um, I do worry at times. I, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on it, whether it's in the grassroots game or the professional game, where it's week one this or week two that. I like your point around one of the weeks is like a consolidation. Something we've done in the winter is that because we know with the winter being indoors, as an example, with uh, our winter programme, we've had that overall year programme, is a real heightened emphasis on um, individualism, foot skills, things like that. It's not to say you're never touching on getting better at mastering the ball in your practices. Of course, you should be. But we know we've been indoors, um, especially with the weather and things like that. Similar to England, I'm sure. You're able to work on a lot of other things. So we're doing a lot of even 1v1s, 1v1s plus 1s, target games, this, that and the other, with futsal and different ways to manipulate and outplay and outthink. So the first sort of few weeks of that winter season is working on uh, the attacking focus of how we release and receive and what have you. And then the last few weeks, so it's like split into, uh, I think it was quite a 10-week season, you've got four and four, and then the last two is basically competition week. So we have that. I've been to get your thoughts on it. So that's like our, to your point of that consolidation, that's our opportunity to go actually put them in games, create games within games, do little mini tournaments. But the coaches sit back. Doesn't mean the coaches have a cigar and don't do anything. You can still coach. But we're putting them straight into these games and we're playing games against each other to see what have they learned over the last eight weeks or however long in your clubs you're working for, see what they've took on board. And then we can use that to then, you know, see where that plan needs to rejig for certain teams going into the spring. That's how we're sort of looking at it. So I do like your you point around that consolidation. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and even, you know, how important is that consolidation bit for you, Tony, at the, at the end of whatever it is you're doing, you know, for coaches so that they can help the kids link the learning. Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest problems that I've found is that when you do you know, pick up games or intramural games, however much of a coaching focus you have, the game and the score within the game can can have too too much importance for for either for one coach or the other or for the players. Now, even if they're within your own club. You know, you're the centre back, I'm the centre forward. I just want to get the better of you. Now, if the focus has been on wide play, and all I'm doing when I get the ball is trying to take you on all the time, then my wide players might as well not be there. So, I get what you're saying, and and I've the only time I've worked with indoor seasons was when I played men's football out in Germany, when they used to do a similar thing. Um, but to me, it's also a little bit like that. Um, we spoke about it the other week, about we do all our training on beautiful carpets, 3G surfaces, and then on a Saturday or a Sunday, the game is on some bobbly park pitch that, you know, you, you, you set all technically perfect, you set yourself up to receive the ball, 
and it hits a pile of dog crap in front of you and bounces over your knee. Um, so we don't always... That, that the, the preparation and the game, for me, are, are two separate things. The consolidation week allows me to go, right, so we worked on playing out from the back three weeks ago, um, but actually we kept giving the ball away and strikers striker scoring on us. No, no matter how much we did it. So in that consolidation week, I'm probably going to do that. And again, if I work in an academy and I've got my players in Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, it's a lot easier for me to say, right, we're going to, Monday night we'll, we'll look at the game um, and we'll talk about what went wrong and then we'll go out and see how we can go about putting it right. But then we park that after Monday and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday goes back to the actual season programme. Um, something that Yaz mentioned earlier on as well, which ties in a little bit, was about knowing your opposition. In, in 20 years of working in 13s to 16s and up to 18s football, we never thought or we never set up to go, right, well, we're playing... Grimsby Town next week. We know that they like to go from back to front, so that's what we're going to work on defending against. Can you pressure the defender when he brings the ball out so he can't play it long? Can you either drop off so there's no space in behind or push up so we catch him offside? We've never, ever gone down that route. So within the pro clubs, it was all about what do we need for our players so that by the time they get to 16, I can hand them over to the under-18s coach and know that the under-18s are going to play the way that we've played, plus a bit. I think it's a great lasting point, to be honest with you, what you've made. I mean, first thing I'm thinking now is it comes back to everyone's context, doesn't it? I mean, in the context I'm working in now, we don't, ever really play on grass. I can't think of any game we've played on on grass, to be honest. They're all on turf. So all our training is on turf. We have obviously a multi uh, and 10 outdoor turf pitches, massive complex. And then in the winter, we do futsal. Some teams will play indoor leagues or whatever. It depends on the age group. Um, some outdoor, but typically we're all futsal. So even our training, to your point about that link, um, we don't still train outdoors. All of it is indoors. So we're training on futsal courts and, and basketball courts, and then it links. Um, something that I was thinking about, what you based on what you were saying, was to me was making me think, how many nights a week do you practice? Because you just made a great point. It was reminding me of being at Rochdale, where it's like Tuesday, Thursday, and then even then you've got like, we saw Friday would be a 12 to 16 day release. And then you got on Saturday morning with a game on a Sunday. It's a lot of contact points. And as you know, you know, the higher the classification of the academy, the more contact points you have. With a lot of other people listening, they're probably what if they're only practicing once a week. So this idea of a, a seasonal plan, it looks even different because even then, you know, how much time are you really getting with the players? I think that's a great point from you. And it'd be interesting to see what does that look like. I don't know if you covered it in your book. Of what does it look like whether you've got three practices a week, two practices a week for 90 minutes or even a practice a week? How does that vary the plan? You know, but whilst always considering that individual. Yeah, I think one of the major differences for me was even if, so with our academy, like I say, we used to have them in Monday night, 
do a, uh, like a carousel thing, which would be 45 minutes of psychological-based football training, 45 minutes of gym work and 45 minutes of either match analysis if we'd film the game or talking tactics based around what we were planning to do that week. Tuesday night would be a one and a half hour or a two hour session. Thursday night would be one and a half hours. Saturday morning was one and a half hours. But on a Saturday morning, we also included um, 25 to 30 minutes in the session for individual development time. Um, with the grassroots club that I'm working now, we have two sessions a week with the JPL team. They do uh, an hour on a Tuesday, they do an hour and a half on a Thursday. Um, but with the academy set up, I knew that if I had a squad of 16, I'd probably get between 12 and 16 players for every session. So even if I had to tweak my session that I'd planned a little bit, I knew that I'd be able to get the session out. Now with the grassroots team that I'm working with, bearing in mind it's JPL, so they've also got another grassroots club. Some of them also do one-to-one -one coaching. I might only get five players turn up on a Tuesday night for that one hour session and 16 players turn up on a Thursday night for that session. Um, I can't control that. It's a pay-to-play model, so they pay the money that takes the chance. Um, but obviously the ones that that really want to develop will, will make the additional effort to get to both sessions. But I still try and stick to the seasonal programme. So if only six turn up, I'm experienced enough to plan something that might involve a section of the pitch, for example, that they play in. So if my right-back, a centre midfield player, a striker and a right-sided midfield player turn up, I can probably still put something together for that hour on the fly, which ties into what I will then get them to repeat when the other 15, 13, 12 players turn up on the Thursday night. Love it. I think that's a fantastic point to finish on, especially if you... I was looking at a couple of the profiles, listening, you got some people who are working at first-team level. Whether you're grassroots first-team or youth, I think it's a great shout. How can you... But a lot of that will come with experience. I think if coaches haven't got that experience or that library in the head of sessions where they can think, right, I can do this on the fly. I've got my right back. I've got my number seven. I've got this. I can, I can adapt something here where it's similar. You know, it becomes difficult. They probably don't know what to do. And I think that just highlights another skill. We talk about it a lot, don't we? But that ability to adapt, that ability to, to plan stuff within your session and, and know that it might not always stick to script, but, you know, who are the players in front of you and how can you make it work? And then obviously individualise that. So, no, brilliant stuff. I don't know if there's anything from, from Yaz. I know we're conscious of time. One thing we're thinking a lot about is you know, because these, these spaces are really good for debate, there's probably a lot of information covered already. So it's how can we make sure that we're not overloading everyone listening when we talk about that with the players. Um, one thing I wouldn't mind doing is probably continuing this debate in, again, making sure that we do it again and uh, extend it. So having a continuation. Um, unless anyone's got any other questions or anything else to add. That'll be it, really. I think just uh, just wrapping up. Just if, it, if we if we pick it up next week, um, we've got a bit more time. You know, bring some other people involved in the conversation. That'll be that'll be the best way to tail it off, Joe. 
Fantastic. Well, listen, everyone, we're, we're in history, aren't we? We've had an amazing day, great conversation. Really appreciate everybody coming for today and taking some golden nuggets. Thank you to Tony and you know everyone who, for listening and participating. And uh, really enjoy the World Cup. I'm definitely going to re-watch it back. And hope you have a great rest of the weekend. See you soon. Take care, guys. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.